0: As we just prayed through those things, the past, the present, the future, I I wonder which one of those three perhaps dominates your thoughts, your emotions at this time, the the past, the present, or the future. You know, I talk to people throughout the week uh, on the phone and in person over email who who find themselves uh, kind of all over the map on that. There are those who are focused upon the past and are kind of longing for the good old days. They'll say things like, when can we get back to normal? I talked to some other people who are more focused upon the present. Their, their thoughts and feelings are dominated by questions that need to be answered today. This past week in particular, I was reminded of this as I, as I spoke with some parents who are trying to figure out what does school look like. And my heart goes out to the families who are trying to navigate those difficult situations and questions right now. And there are also those who are focused towards the future. And they say things like, when will, when will this be over. How are we define this? And, and all of us define this in different ways. Some of us, it, it refers to school or to work. Uh, it can refer to uh, ministry seasons or the pandemic in which we find ourselves in the midst of. But with all of this in mind, we start this new ministry season. And I want to draw our attention during this time to Isaiah chapter 43. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. We're going to follow through that short passage, a short section of that passage there today. Uh, As these guys try to fix my microphone, that's going to be crackling for the next few minutes. Zach, do you want me to grab a different one? Okay, all right, I'll keep going. (laughs) And so Isaiah chapter 43. This is a section of scripture that was written to the nation of Israel during a time when all of these thoughts were dominating their lives. They were longing for the good old days. They were at a point of facing new daily challenges, but they are also waiting for it all to end. And the way that they defined this in their lives was that they had found themselves as a defeated nation, an exiled nation in Babylon. You see, their nation, their their city, their temple have been conquered, and they themselves, the people, have been carried off to Babylon. And they were wrestling with all sorts of new things, with uh, living in a new land, trying to figure out how do we live a new way of life in this place, new rules and regulations. They had loss of freedom that they were trying to figure out, and how in the world do they worship when the temple had been taken away from them? No questions and situations that they were facing that, in some ways, are not that dissimilar from some of the questions we've been facing these past six months. And in the midst of it all, God sends them, the prophet Isaiah, with a message of hope and assurance. And we read this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 14, where it begins by saying, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. You see, God begins this message with a personal touch. He says, I am your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He says, is their Redeemer. Meaning, in referencing back to this idea that they had established a sacred promise generations ago. Where he would be their God and they would be his people. He was theirs and they were his. But also this word Redeemer. Where they know that they're in a situation that is greater than they can handle themselves. And yet in the midst of it, God says, I see you. I value you. I will be there for you. And he would make this great exchange that redeemers make. The great exchange is, is going to be to their advantage. Thank you. There we go. Maybe that's better for everybody. The great exchange would be the microphone that just happened for our sake. But for their sake, the great exchange that would happen on their behalf to their advantage is read about in verse, the rest of verse 14 and verse 15 where God says, for your sakes, I will send an army against the Babylonians. Forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships that they are so proud of. For I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. You see, the exchange he's talking about here is that he was going to send somebody who would be stronger and greater than the Babylonians. And the result would be that the nation of Israel would experience justice and freedom for God's people. And the reference here, the specific reference to these ships is kind of the the symbol of that exchange. You see, they had these great uh, ships, this great fleet that was symbolic of, of their might in commerce and their strength in battle. And he's saying, I'm going to take this incredible source of pride in these Babylonians and I'm going to exchange them to a place of flight and sorrow. Now as he delivers this simple message to the prophet Isaiah, such a declaration would have provided Israel with all sorts of assurance and hope for the future that they needed during this time. And naturally, it would remind them of the past as well, of how God had rescued and redeemed their ancestors and they themselves would say, do it again, Lord, do it again. And an exercise for God to, to encourage that a little bit and to build up their faith, in the, their present faith in him, he himself reminds them of the past. Verse 16, 17, Isaiah 43 is a retelling of Moses and Israel's miraculous escape from Pharaoh through the Red Sea, where God demonstrated his dominion over nature as he parted the waters so his people could cross on dry land to safety across the sea. But then also as God demonstrated his sovereignty over all nations where the strongest, most powerful enemy and nation in the world chased after them across that dry land. And yet God brought the waters back and to this day they rest at the bottom of that sea. This is one of the most famous events in the Bible that people know about. It was central to Israel's faith. It was central to their relationship and their knowledge of God. It built them up right up to the time of Jesus. Because we even read in the Gospels that when Jesus would debate with the Pharisees, when the early churches would have internal discussions and conflicts among them, quite often it was a time of looking back, saying, we are children of Abraham. We remember the wilderness time and God's faithfulness then. We hold strictly to the law of Moses established back then. And why not? Why wouldn't they look back to those things? Those were incredible past events, so foundational to their faith in God. It provided them with a present hope. A hope that God could do it again. That this season that they find themselves in, it will pass and they will go back to where they were before. Sometimes the world can feel that way for us where we can feel like perhaps we're in a bit of a season of captivity. And when I talk to people who speak of being just tired of the isolation we find in our homes, the physical distancing that needs to take place, it leads to this captivity of loneliness and depression. Things are so different that an ordinary, what was seemingly routine trip to Costco can now feel like a scene out of a post-apocalyptic movie. Others are trying to navigate this season we find ourselves in as they plan weddings and funerals. And they bump into delays. They bump into group size limits. The do's and the don'ts associated with that. Many are trying to figure out how do we do work? How do we do school from home? How do we we worship when the temple has been removed? And we're finding ways, and they are good ways, but it's not the same. Now, we need to be careful that we don't label this as a form of persecution, but it certainly is a season of change, a season of uncertainty, and that can bring about a season of fear as well. But here's what I want us to see, that just like Israel, we can use a word from the Lord that will bring us hope and assurance. Just like Israel, we can look back and see that God has been good and God has been faithful to us for for however many years you've been on this earth and for the 60 years that this church has been alive in Edmonton. And that can build up our faith. And just like Israel, it is easy to find ourselves, to find ourselves leading towards the words, do it again, Lord Jesus, do it again. It's natural. We like things to be predictable. So it's natural to say things like that. After all, Israel probably thought God was going to save them the same way he always had. In the past, how did he do it? He, he would rise up a leader from among them. He would place a calling upon that man or woman's life. He would empower them. And they would go out and be God's instrument of redemption amongst the nations. Think of Joseph. Moses, Gideon, Esther, David, Elijah, Nehemiah, God had done it again and again and again. But this time, the word of the Lord is different. This time, the Lord sends a word to them, and instead of them saying, Do it again, Lord Jesus, in verse 18, he says, Forget the former things, forget them. Do not dwell upon the past. But do it again, Lord. Forget the past. But do it again, Lord. Forget the past. What's going on here? You see, in the moment we enter this world, we learn that life is a complex business. Experience after experience reinforces for us that when we learn something that works, when we find something that works, we need to hang on to it with the tenacity of a leech. And in some ways, we can define the maturation process by that definition. We define people who are mature by those who have accumulated the most knowledge on things that work. And when we find people who seem to have stored up most of those things, what do we call them? We call them wise. We seek them out as mentors. And now here comes God, coming along and saying, let go of all those past things that work. It's going to cause fear for some people. But we just figure things out. Why not just keep it the way it was? Or perhaps some thoughts that would happen back then and even in today's world. Reminiscent of the famous words that have been spoken in churches throughout centuries. But we've never done it that way before. Now notice what God doesn't say here though. He doesn't say, I want you to forget the past like it never happened. More specifically, what he says is, I don't want you to dwell upon the past. I don't want you to cling to old methods because I don't want you to be limited by old methods. See, the past is important. The past is one of the most critical ways where we learn about God, where we can build up our faith and we can build and establish our relationship with him. Those things happen by understanding how good and faithful he's been to us in the past. That's where we learn about his nature. That's where we learn that God is good and loving. It's where we learn that he hates sin, but he offers grace. It's where we learn that he is trustworthy and true. But you may have missed this cuz I went through it fairly quickly. How did he refer to himself back in verse 15? You'll see it actually in verse 1 of Isaiah 43 as well. One of the words that he uses to define himself is creator. Now what's the significance of him saying that he is their creator? It means that it's in his nature to create. And we're not just talking about a one-time creation ages ago. God has been creating continually throughout history, and I don't believe he has done creating yet. You see, he wants us to learn from the past, to have our faith build up in the present because of the past. But he does not want us to limit, nor is he limited in the future by the past. And we see this in verse 19, where he says, for I am about to do something new. See, I'm already doing it. It's already begun. Don't you see it? He says to them, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. And I believe in these days, in particular, the past six months that we've been going through, God has been doing something new. It's already begun. Do you see it? It's already begun. And as we head into this fall ministry season, we here as a church are wrestling with the same questions that practically every church around the world, and especially in the Western world, are wrestling with. You see, we face new challenges and questions every day. The reality of where we find ourselves right now is that the old metrics of how we measured success, what does a win look like in the church, has all been changed. There was a time back in the days where we would measure success by the number of people you could gather in a building at one time. COVID flies in the face of that. There is a time where whoever builds the biggest building, whoever uses the facility the most, wins. We can't use the buildings in the same way as we used to anymore. Now, we are unwavering in our in-person gatherings and the purpose and the importance of them. But we're also committed to looking and investing beyond that to see what new opportunities there are that God's bringing our way. We're wrestling with the question of evangelism. Uh, One of the old methods was uh, similar to the the movie Field of Dreams, where it says, build it and they will come. That theory is as old as the movie. And it is increasingly less likely to be effective, especially in the time in which we find ourselves. There is still reason to invite your neighbors to come to church with you, but there is more reason. It will be more effective, and you will see greater fruit if you invite them to your living room. If you invite them into your living room and establish a relationship with them, allow them to see Jesus in you. Allow them to encounter Christ through you, to sit and invite them to come experience West Meadows at home with you will be a new form of evangelism that starts to take greater effect. How do we do discipleship has changed. Back in mid-March, when we ended up canceling practically everything, that was one of the hardest decisions I have ever had to make in the years that I've been a pastor. The hardest yet was how to restart. In part because we want to do so safely, and and I thank you for those who have shared with us that they feel safe here in the building with us and that you think we're doing a good job of monitoring and and keeping track of things. Thank you for that encouragement. But also, I was fearful that if we restart, we're just going to go back to old things in the face of the new things that God is doing. One of the big challenges that that I wrestled with and some of the other staff as well is the fact that when we canceled all those groups, when we were forced to cancel all those groups, we were suddenly struck with the reality that we have failed our congregation. What do I mean by that? We have failed you because we have not taught all of you how to effectively feed yourself to feed yourself spiritually so that you in your own personal time know how to open the word of God and read it and study it so that you in your own personal time know how to pray and meditate, how you know how to give and serve apart from gathering together in a church building. We failed to teach everybody how to feed themselves effectively. And how much more of a critical time do we need that than when we had to cancel everything at the church? There's been a time of confession around that we promise to do better on those fronts. We promise to look forward, doing better in those ways, to see that God is doing a new thing, here with us collectively, but in us individually as well. See, Hebrews 13.8 says that the nature of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that the good news of Jesus Christ is unchanging. But history has proven to us that the methods of advancing the gospel continually advance. And we wanted to find out, and we wanted to help you all to have eyes to see it, to have ears to hear the new things that God is doing in people's lives. The big and the small moves that he's making. So we asked the congregation. We asked the congregation, what new things is God doing in your life? And we asked people to send in videos to us of these things. We thought, what a wonderful way to see faces that we haven't seen for a long time. But at the same time, to hear a bit of an update on what new things God is doing in people's lives. In these brief little testimonies, you're going to hear stories of things related to, to work and to health and to church. How there have been losses, but there is still hope. How there have been surprises. And that has built person's faith and made them excited and anticipating the days ahead. And I'm excited to share some of these stories with you of the new things that God is doing in these past few months.
1: I just wanted to share some of the good things that God is doing in my life. And one of those things is, um, although I lost my job, uh, he has opened a new door. And the lessons that I learned from that job have just been a perfect transition for me into this new one, hopefully. Now most people might be worried that they lost their job especially in a pandemic but one thing that i've learned to stay true to is continuously praying continuously reading my bible continuously thanking him for all the good that he's done in my life and being grateful for what's in front of me and he's opened new doors for me so i just want to say that in the midst of the storm um that song where you just got to praise louder and louder is so true And uh, that's exactly what I've done. And he's opened new doors for me. And of course, most importantly, as crazy as pandemic is, uh, we all need to eat and have a roof over our head. And you know, he blesses with me that every single day. So I'm incredibly grateful for all the good that he does in our lives.
0: It's me, Thina Ritter, the Children's Ministry Director at West Meadows Baptist Church. I just want to tell you that God is doing something new for me. He's also doing something new for our WMBC Kids Ministry too. In fact, God's taught me a new word, and that word is fidgetal. So if you hear the word fidgetal, you might be thinking fidgety or something like a lot of kids can be. But this fidgetal is actually a hybrid between two words, physical and digital. And here I stand in the Teaching Time with Dina recording studio that we have here at West Meadows. And here is where I can help children know, grow, and show God's love in a digital way. So if you're not ready to come back on site, that's totally fine because digitally, we're here for you too.
2: Hello, it's Chloe. Um, The question I got asked was what God has done that is new in the past five to six months. And I have quite a lot of things. Um, I graduated, which was a lot of fun. It was definitely interesting and I will never forget it. Um, I have a new job, I work for Paul Styles at Spud. Um, I have a new car, and I've had a new
0: car for about three weeks, so I guess it's not really new, but I haven't broken it yet. So it's a record. Um, I am starting school downtown um, to upgrade some classes and I'm becoming a youth leader this
2: year. Um, I'll be uh, working with the Instagram and the digital outreach. Um, which is a lot of fun, I'm very excited.
0: Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to what God has planned for me this next coming year.
1: Something new that I've seen God do during this time is empty my family's always super busy schedule so that we have a
2: lot of extra time to spend with each other.
1: Hey everybody, this is Cal, and I'm pretty new to the church here, so that's something that God's been doing in my life lately. Uh, but one thing I really see him doing is uh, have a wonderful son, Edison. Um, he's turning six here in November, and he's just started grade one today, actually. And um, it's just awesome to see him growing and changing and uh, learning about God, too, of course. And uh, he's I got the chance to go camping with him a couple weeks ago, and uh, he just had so much fun. Uh, so that would be the first annual father son uh, camping trip. And uh, I know I have a good father in heaven and I just love that we get to participate in some of the things that that we see God doing in our lives. Hey, my name is Zach and I'm a part of the staff team at West Meadows. And one of the new things that God is doing in my area of ministry is our ability to do church online. And since we started streaming our services online, we've seen over 30 people initiate a live prayer with one of our volunteers through chat. This is brand new for us and we've seen 21 people indicate that they've committed their lives to Jesus online and again this is all brand new territory for us and uh, i'm so excited to be able to try new techniques each and every week as we use uh, these online tools to make disciples of Jesus
2: hey my name is Andrew i'm part of the staff here at West Meadows and over the last five months during this new and different time God's been showing me lots of new and different things and so i'm gonna share a few of those with you now. So through our food bank ministry here at West Meadows, we've had a bunch of new volunteers step up during this COVID time, because there were some of our volunteers that were not able to continue due to restrictions. And so we had a bunch of new people jump in. That was really awesome. Some new relationships have come out of that and even uh, a time to be able to grow deeper in relationship with the volunteers has come. Uh, Also, we've started a softball team during that time. And so we launched that. And from that, we've been able to grow a ministry that touches three different churches, but also touches some unchurched people and then also some people that are attending West Meadows. So it's a city-wide ministry. And so God has really been able to widen, I think, our reach here at West Meadows through this time, not only in these two ministries, but also online with youth and online with the church as well.
3: This summer, I've had an amazing experience with God and with my health. I'm 82 years old and my hip was worn out and I went in for a hip replacement. And it was a wonderful experience, uh, totally successful. But in the rehab, uh, after the first six weeks, I asked my doctor, can I go and pick cherries? I really like to pick cherries. He said, yeah, you can go. I went. I went to Oliver, BC. And I had to deal with the people who thought an 82-year-old can't pick cherries. But we got through that, and I found myself picking cherries up a 15-foot ladder, going up it, I don't know, hundreds of times a day, picking fruit that I had no idea was there that were the biggest cherries and the sweetest cherries I'd ever seen. But my grandchildren told me, Grandpa, when you pick cherries, you're going to learn a lot about fruit. And I thought I knew about fruit. But when I got up in the tree and I saw how God had put leaves over the cherries to keep them from being ruined by the sun. And when I saw that there were 50 pounds of cherries on a branch and that if I didn't put it the right way, I didn't get the stem. And I saw cherries falling all over the place. I thought, God, you are so amazing and bountiful. And the reason I went to pick cherries was nobody else wanted to pick it. I didn't need any money for it. I just wanted to learn how to pick cherries and wanted to experience this. What I didn't know was that climbing up and down the ladder was the rehab for my hip. And what I experienced on Sunday morning when I was picking cherries was Jesus was there. The sun was coming through the leaves of the cherry tree and I was singing hymns and gospel songs and picking cherries. And I thought, I didn't know that church could be this good. It was absolutely amazing. And God ministered to me spiritually. I got to see how fruitful He is in the natural world. And I got to meet some amazing new friends. So I recommend for 82-year-olds, if your doctor says you could do it, you should go pick fruit. God is a fruitful person, and I experienced wonderful healing and worship there.
0: Absolutely, some neat stories there. People who have hope in the midst of loss, people who have new beginnings starting in, in careers and education, and who would have thought you could have church in a cherry tree on Sunday morning? Such wonderful stories of new things God's doing in new ways, and new methods. I know all of us like things to be predictable. We can catch ourselves saying, do it again, Lord. But instead, he says to us, see, I am doing a new thing. And even now, even right now, it is springing up before us. and, And I want us to perceive it. I don't fully know what this new thing is for us here at West Meadows yet. We're just starting. We're still, like most churches, at a stage of adapting. We haven't fully embraced the innovation stage yet. We're still at the stage of adapting and pressing in towards innovation. But I do want to encourage us all to be open, prayerfully looking for where we can join God in the new things that he's doing. If we don't, I believe the cost is too high because we'll miss out on what God's doing. Consider again the nation of Israel who did not perceive fully what God meant when he said he was doing a new thing. See, they likely expected God to, to do it again, to save them the same way he had in the past. And, and if you read the full story of, of, of how they came back from exile, he did it in a unique way. But the ultimate understanding of the new thing God is referring to was a new covenant, a new promise that God was establishing where he was promising and they had no idea that this was the new method and the new thing that he was looking down the road towards. But a time when the forgiveness of sin would be extended to all people, where everyone would be invited to have a relationship, a personal relationship with God. This is the reason for which Jesus came. But many people did not perceive this new thing that God was doing. They already had an idea of how God would redeem them. They had an idea of what the Messiah would look like. And even as they stood there looking at Jesus, even as they stood there speaking to him, even though he was right there before their very eyes, they missed him. And if they missed him in those moments, they would also miss him as he hung upon the cross as their savior. But it's promised in John 1.12 that to all those who receive him, to all those who believe in his name, he will give the right to become children of God. That was true then and it is true today. There are those people who may be here on site with us and there are people who are listening online who have missed it. Who still need to see Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time. I believe that God has been pursuing you. That God has been trying to get your attention through people that he's bringing into your lives through events that he's orchestrating around you, through different words that he is speaking to you through people, but also to your heart through his spirit. And you can chalk these up to coincidence. You can say that I'm just fortunate and I have good luck, but I believe it is more than that. I believe it is God who is trying to do something new in your life. Because the reality of this, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin matters to God. It matters enough that our sin creates a gap between us and him, and it separates us from having the ability to be forgiven and have that relationship. And we can never fill that gap ourselves. We could never pay the price on our own. But God loves you. He knows you. He sees you. He desires a relationship with you, so he sent Jesus to be the perfect offering for you to pay the price that you could not pay, to give his life for yours. And just as he rose to newness of life, when we come to accept that gift, we become new creations with a new identity, a new future, a new purpose, and a new hope. But like any gift, while it's offered freely, we must choose to receive it and you can receive that by saying yes to Jesus today. You can do so simply, like if you're watching online, by clicking on that raise your hand box or clicking with somebody who can pray with you. Or if you're here on site with us, come and find us after the service and we will come to a time of prayer with you here on site. But I pray that all of us would live this new life in Jesus Christ, whether it is new life for the first time or if you've been a long time follower, that we would not be defined by the past, but we would be built up by the past that we would not be limited by it. That while we face these times of uncertainty, that we would look to the past for faith, but we would look forward anticipating the awesome things that God has yet to do. And that we would set our gaze forward with confidence and eagerness that God is doing a new thing. So before we come to a time of communion, I want to invite you if you would join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that regardless of what is happening in our lives, in this building, in in the city, in the world around us, that you, Lord, are the solid foundation upon which we can stand. Lord, I pray for those who are perhaps here with us right now, or those who are listening online, who need to take that step of faith for the first time, who need to become new creations in you, Lord. We thank you that you love us and you call us personally, and I invite all of those who are listening now who need to take that step of faith to say yes. Jesus Christ say thank you Lord for paying the price for my sins I believe that you are God's son who died upon the cross for my sins I believe that you rose victorious on the third day and that as you were raised to a new life I too by accepting your forgiveness can be raised to new life in Jesus Christ We thank you for those who enter into the kingdom through a heartfelt prayer along that lines, Lord. And I also thank you for those who are gathered with us who perhaps have been following you for years, but during this time of uncertainty need to have a word from the Lord that reassures them that you're with us today and that you have incredible things for us in store tomorrow. God, help us to hold our ministry, our church, our lives with open hands that you would lead us and guide us, that you would bless us and use us powerfully for your purposes. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You know, communion is something that has been done around the church for the last 2,000 years, so it is not new in and of itself. But today, we do have a new form. As hopefully you received one of these cups as you came in today. But even though the form and the way that we distribute this is different and new today, the meaning and the purpose is still the same. We're still reminded by these elements that we have before us of the past. That in the past, Jesus Christ was our sacrifice. That he gave his life upon the cross to pay the price that we could not pay ourselves. And so we come together today to say thank you, to remember And to reaffirm our commitment to walk according to his will and his ways. Which also therefore points us towards the future. Now the means and the source of communion is the same. In Jesus Christ who is the hope for our future. And in Jesus' own words, he was looking forward when he says, recording the gospel of Luke, when he said to his followers who were gathered with him that day, he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it again until the future. I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And we too anticipate that day when we'll be able to share in this meal with Jesus Christ, when we meet with him in glory. But until that day, we gather together as his faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And we remember and we say thank you. And with this thought of suffering, sacrifice on Jesus's mind where he knew he was providing the way for eternity he gathered with his followers and he took the bread the bread which is symbolic of his body which he freely gave on our behalf his body which was wounded for our transgressions that we may be forgiven and he said to those who were gathered with him that day he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me And so while we're here, let us carefully remove the top piece of plastic. As we take the wafer, we take it together and pause and reflect. same way after dinner he, he took the cup the cup which was which symbolic of his blood which was shed to cover a multitude of sins as he gave his life that we would receive life and he said to those who are gathered with him today that we can hear these words ourselves today he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me and so let us now open take together and reflect We thank you, Jesus, that during this time of new things, things that are uncomfortable for us, things that are different, and, and things that can cause us to have a longing for the way it was before, that God, that we would, we would see some of those things return, that we would feel familiarity, that we would feel the, uh, the newness mingling with the familiar from the past. But in all of us, Lord, we pray that it would be according to your will that we would not sacrifice the future for the past, that we would not be limiting the future because of the past, that we would remember things like the blood of Jesus Christ, the, the good news of Jesus Christ that existed in the past and the present and will exist in the future, that we would cling to those things. Now, while the methods may change, while the, the style and the manner of things may change, may we continue to hold our faith upon you. May you be the constant. May you be the one who is the constant hope and faith that we have for today and to the day ahead. God, I believe you have such incredible things in store for us. Yes, I know some things will be different. But God, when we see people come into your kingdom, when we see the fruitfulness of ministry that we do in our homes and our neighborhoods and in this place, God, that is what matters, is that you are glorified, that you are honored, and that we have sought after you. So I pray you would help us to keep that as our focus and our vision as we go forward, Lord. We acknowledge that our confidence for tomorrow is in you because your love
2: endures forever. Amen.